0: This is an Odyssey Original.
1: This is War in Ukraine Daily. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. President Biden, hoping to offset months of chaos in the global oil market that was touched off by Russia's invasion of Ukraine, has announced the release of one million barrels of oil per day from the country's strategic petroleum reserve for the next six months. Now, the goal is to reduce record high gas prices in the question. Is will it work? The White House says it is hearing. Vladimir Putin's own advisors are basically lying to him about the war in Ukraine. We look into why and what that means for possible peace. We head to Poland to talk to a veterinarian from San Diego who is taking care of pets and other animals impacted by the war. But we start with a Biden administration plan to pump more oil into the global market with the hopes of easing back high gasoline prices. With us is Ryan Kellogg, professor at the University of Chicago Harris School of Public Policy. He focuses on the oil and gas sectors and environmental policy. So one million barrels of oil from the National Strategic Reserves, it sounds like a big number, is it?
2: Yeah, a million sure sounds like a really big number. It's important to keep in context. One, world oil consumption is 100 million barrels a day. We're talking about a release of one million barrels a day. U.S. consumption is about 20 million barrels a day. Um, Is this going to have a big effect on prices? It's not going to be big. It's also not going to be zero. It looks like crude oil prices have fallen by something like 5% since the announcement. Again, that's not nothing. Does that make up for the supply shortfall that's been caused by the invasion? No, it doesn't. The the running estimate from the International Energy Administration is that sort of Russian supply has been cut off to the tune of maybe 3 million barrels a day. That's bigger than one. There's just, you know, releasing oil from the strategic reserves. Is is it going to lower prices a little bit? Yes. Is it going to take things back to where they were before the invasion or before people were even worried about the invasion? No.
0: Ryan, there are those who will argue that this is a political move. Nothing more than that. Your take.
2: Yeah, so... It is going to decrease prices. You're not going to see prices fall at the pump immediately. It usually takes a couple weeks for shocks, for changes in crude oil prices, to pass on through to prices you see at the pump when you're driving out or when you're out driving around. Um, but this fall in the crude oil price that's happened over the past 24 hours, five, six, seven dollars a barrel, um, that's eventually going to work its way through to Gasoline prices, um, and I would expect there to be a modest and modest decrease in prices. At, decrease in prices at the time, but okay. again, you know, it's not going to sort of put things back to what people were used to us. You know, right. So, so,
1: so, so the, the the president, as you know, besides uh, having this uh, one million barrels a day of oil being released, he's also uh, insisting, or, or at least pleading, I suppose it depends on your point of view, with oil companies to start pumping. Uh, getting more oil out of the ground. Uh, Now, there are a couple of issues with that one. One, are the oil companies going to listen? And two, what about the environmental impact?
2: Yeah, so there's really nothing the administration can do to get private companies to get more oil out of the ground. Most U.S. oil and gas is actually produced off of private land, not land owned by the U.S. government. A lot of the shale oil boom. Happened on private land. Prices are high now. Firms are going to be interested in drilling more, and I wouldn't be surprised to see more drilling, more production from wells. That's going to take time, though. It takes months to get a to get a rig on site, drill more holes in the ground, and actually meaningfully increase production. A year from now, where we're going to see more oil being pumped? Yeah, sure. Um, it's not something you're going to see tomorrow, and there's really nothing Biden or any president could really do about that.
0: In your opinion, is he right in calling for Congress to demand these companies pay fees for the wells that have not been used for years?
2: Uh, So for federal land, honestly, even something like that probably wouldn't make too much of a difference on the the supply front. Um, In part because so little oil and gas production in the U.S. is coming from onshore federal land. If there's federal land that companies have rights to but haven't grown the reason they haven't drilled is probably because the land's not all that productive anyway. Um, so I wouldn't expect a move like that to really sort of move the needle in the in the near term on on oil supply.
1: All right, thank you very much. People aren't the only ones who need help in Ukraine. Their pets and other animals need care and medical attention as the war rages on, and especially as more Ukrainians are forced to escape their homes. Veterinarian Dr. Gary Weitzman is president of the San Diego Humane Society. He is now in Poland on a mission to provide care for animals and to set up a border-crossing veterinary clinic. Dr. Weitzman is with us now. Doctor, thanks for... Talking with us from Poland, so tell us about the situation there. We've heard so much about the hardships of Ukrainians escaping Russia's invasion. But how about their pets?
3: Yeah, hi. Um, it's it's uh, been good to get over here finally to see it for myself and to see if there's any way for us to help. Uh, The animals haven't been forgotten by the people in Ukraine. Uh, Many of them are bringing their animals across. Uh, That's been becoming more and more difficult as uh, restrictions have increased because some of them have been bringing anywhere from 2 to 20 animals. So the Polish authorities have gotten a little concerned about that and cut it down to 2 animals per person to bring across the border. So that's causing other issues on the other side where animals may be be abandoned on the Ukraine border. But the ones that we're seeing here in Poland now are actually in pretty good shape. They're stressed. You know, the people are stressed. It's just a horrible situation any way you look at it. But the animals are in really good shape, the ones that are coming over. I guess, um, for me, the sobering part is, not knowing what's happening to the animals that are left behind right and uh, it's a pretty grim um story to tell i think
0: yeah doctor what exactly are you doing share with us your mission plan
3: yeah sure yeah i've been working with the international fund for animal welfare otherwise known as ifa and they set up um a, a basically uh, it's small but very powerful right in that uh, border crossing camp where everybody's coming through. It's really a, one of the first tents that people see. It's a medical tent and there's supplies for people with their pets if they need carriers for cats or if they need leashes and muzzles, uh, some basic veterinary supplies that we can use here. Um, we're, we're doing all of that right at the border for people when they're coming across. And of course, lots and lots and lots of dog and cat food and bird food. and. And you know we've seen everything uh, from ferrets to snails. Yeah, really. Somebody brought over pet snails. Wait, wait, oh, wait, wait. Oh.
1: Someone, hold on. Someone brought <laughs> a pet snail. Snail?
3: Yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You know, you got to love that though. She raised a snail from a uh, snail lit, I guess, you know, and <laughs> wow. my my uh, medical background doesn't go very far into mollusk territory, but she, this was her pet and she brought him across or her, I don't know, across the border, but you know, on the more um, regular side of things, we're seeing lots and lots of cats and dogs coming too, and they're in they're really in good physical shape. Their mental shape is what we're the most worried about.
1: now. You know, and and I was just going to ask you about that, that that people, I think, sometimes dismiss the fact that animals, pets might have their own trauma because of this war and being displaced and moving from, uh, you know, an environment they're used to. And perhaps before they left Ukraine, they were hearing explosions because we've talked to lots and lots of, of people who have uh, fled ukraine telling us about how disturbing it was to them just nightly hearing the bombardment tell us a little bit about the psychological issues that these animals seem to be going through and how do you deal with it
3: yeah it's really unbelievable for both the people and the animals so if you think about it these animals yeah they've, they've experienced everything that people have they might not know consciously or, you know, they might not really understand what those noises represent, whereas people do. So it can add a little bit more horror on the human side. But for the animals, it's the uncertainty and the unknown. It's loud noises and and smells. and, And, you know, obviously there's lots of injured. There's injured animals as well. Animals without limbs that we've heard about. I haven't seen any of the animals that have been injured. They've been taken care of on the Ukraine side for the most part. But these animals have gone through everything that people have without any concept of what is happening. So they're they're pretty terrorized. They're they're pretty stressed. And then compound it by thinking, you know, there's 50% of these animals coming across the companion side Um, They're they're cats. 50% are cats, 50% are dogs. People are just carrying their cats. And I'm astonished. You know, as a vet, I look at these cats and I think, you know, if they were in San Diego, there's no way someone would, a cat would stay still in someone's arms. But coming across um, a war zone border, these cats are just, you know, being held and and behaving. Uh, So we're getting them carriers and harnesses and all sorts of things to try to calm them down. Um, They're, they're really in surprisingly good shape once they've come across the border though
0: doctor what about strays i understand you have a dog named slava there tell us about slava
3: Oh, slava yes you know slava ukraine the the um the cry for peace uh from the ukraine side uh slava means glory and this dog uh, was found um we found this dog this morning and he had been wandering the streets and the there's small highways here and he's been wandering the highways and it's been fairly good weather for march in poland but it's really getting cold today and rain nonstop for the last 36 hours and then snow coming so we wanted to get that dog so we cooked with a bowl of food and kibble and honestly the the woman i was i've been with um her name is diane she she's an animal control officer in Massachusetts. and she was just amazing um i'd like to say we got that dog but she got that dog but i got to take care of him once once we got him and All and that right. was really
1: great uh, one quick question i'm curious have you ever done anything like this in in your career i mean there couldn't be anything farther from <laughs> san diego where i guess yeah. you practice to what you're doing now
3: you know what honestly guys um i think that question could go for everybody here whether or not they're a victim of this of this disaster or someone trying to help make it better nobody has gone through anything like this in their lives before
0: yeah OK, Dr. Weitzman, thank you. Thank you for the work you're doing. Again, that's veterinarian Dr. Gary Weitzman, president of the San Diego Humane Society, joining us from Poland.
1: U.S. intelligence has determined that Vladimir Putin is not getting the entire picture of his invasion of Ukraine. The intel assessment finds that Putin's top advisers are not accurately portraying his military's struggles in Ukraine. They are apparently scared to give him bad news. Matthew Schmidt is a Russia expert, professor of national security, international affairs, and political science at the University of New Haven. He's worked with the Senate and House Armed Services Committee and members of Congress as a consultant on strategic planning. So uh, here's my question. Why are Putin's advisors lying to him?
4: Uh, because it's an authoritarian system, right? Putin's to blame for his own mess here. Um, what happens with these guys is, is they, they have no way out. Uh, It's unsafe for them to tell Putin uh, what they think he doesn't want to hear. And they can't just resign if they disagree with his policy. They're trapped and their families are at risk. Um, And so all of this together means that you, um, you know, don't necessarily tell the truth, even if you're not fully lying.
1: Here's what I don't uh, quite understand. Uh, You know, censorship, as you know, is pretty heavy in Russia right about now. and, And the average person does not have access to uh, a free flow of information. I presume that Vladimir Putin does, uh, that he could watch and listen to anything he wants to watch and listen to. So why isn't he getting all this information elsewhere?
4: Of course, he could do that, but his own psychology is, in essence, you know, preventing him from doing it, right? We all, we all know situations where we don't want to open up that envelope um, and see what's inside, and that's essentially the position that he's in. And you have to understand also that this is akin to something, someone sort of being racist, right, which, which Putin essentially is against Ukrainians here, where he's got a worldview, and he's just not willing to see what's outside of that worldview. He just doesn't believe that something outside of, of how he sees the world could even be true and therefore even be worth his time.
0: Well, what does this say about Vladimir Putin's state of mind?
4: He's rational. He's not crazy. Um, but he has a different kind of reasoning that he follows logically. He goes from his A to his B to his C, right, um, which is the definition of rationality. But it's not its not a system of reasoning that we agree with, right? It's like having that crazy uncle at dinner that we call crazy. But he's actually quite rational. He just, has a, he just sees the world in a logical way that we don't agree with. We think his logic is in error, but it's still logical.
1: What about this contrarian point of view, which I'm sure you're you're familiar with, which is that uh, Putin is crazy like a fox uh, and that he uh, it isn't that he's not getting the information that he should be getting, but that he's following a game plan that he always wanted to follow, which is essentially to end up with the eastern portion of of Ukraine and to, in his point of view, uh, hopefully cut off. Uh, the access of the rest of Ukraine to uh, the sea, and so all this other stuff is just a bunch of people guessing that uh, he's getting bad information.
4: Uh, I, I generally disagree with everything that you said. Uh, Putin is not a strategic genius. His basic approach to things is that when, when the situation doesn't look the way he wants it to, he creates chaos. He breaks things, and then he's good at finding Targets of opportunity, right? In the float in the Sam, or whatever he's breaking, he looks for things to then make his next move again. But he's not particularly good about planning out, you know, move one, two, three, and seven um, in order. Uh, it, it, you know, It's the bulk of my work that suggests that Putin, for instance, this isn't about NATO. This isn't about Ukraine being in NATO. Missiles, missiles don't reach Moscow any faster from Ukraine than they would from Estonia, which is already a NATO country, right? And it's a misunderstanding of modern war if he's even worried at all about NATO's intentions, right? If he thinks NATO wants to take Moscow, well, he's just stupid, right? <laughs> the, the real thing that he wants, though, is to is to rebuild this sort of Russian world, this, this cultural space in Eurasia that is anti-Western, that uh, breaks our values, that is anti-democratic, right? And that he believes he has sort of a divine mission to create in order to keep this Russian viewpoint Um, you know, as in something that's important in human history. He wants to he he feels like that space collapsed when the Soviet Union went down and he's trying to preserve it. And that's what this war is about. Ukraine is the center of being able to 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 uh, achieve that manifest destiny. Right. And that's what this is about. And that's why he's hard to deter.
0: All right. Matthew, thank you so much for your perspective. Again, that's Matthew Schmidt, Russia expert, joining us from the University of New Haven.
1: You'll find this Odyssey original podcast and others at Odyssey.com and on the Odyssey smartphone app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.